0: Hello, we would like to invite you to join us in this garden room in a fine Christian household in Ealing, which is a suburb of London, England. Heathrow Airport, not far away. This is book by book that we're doing in the book of the prophet Isaiah. And we're coming to the seventh study now, we'd like to have you joining us as you open up your own Bible, if you've got one with you, and if you've got one of those study guides that Paul Blackham writes for the series well he's got one for Isaiah, please have that at hand as well, if you like, so that we can do some further study. I'm Richard Buse. I'm joined here by Paul Blackham, and by our friend and our special guest, Alec Mattia. It's the book of Isaiah, it's chapters 42 to 48 that we're doing now, as we come to the seventh in our series, and we're coming to chapter 42. We're entitling this today's study, The Glory of the Servant, by which really we mean, actually, or we shall see that we mean, Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. 42 verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged, till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Oh, it's a special reading, and it's a wonderful, one of four special servant songs, as we call them. And here we are at what is called the first of the servant songs in Azar. And even though chapter 41, if you look at it there, verse 8 describes Israel as my servant, Actually, are we slightly on a different footing when we get to chapter 42,
1: Alec? Well, I think the answer is we're on our, we're on our way. Yes. We haven't arrived yet. Um, chapter 42 arises directly out of chapter 41. I think it's important to see that. Chapter 41 at the end, verse 29, uh, speaking of the Gentiles wor- Gentile world, Says, behold, this is the older translation and correct, behold, they are all worthless. The Gentile world's in in a mess because they've never had any revelation of God and are bereft of the truth. And Isaiah says, behold, have a look at this. What Mm. do you think of it? Mm. But then in chapter 42, verse 1, he uses the same word, behold, have a look at this.
0: It's worth remembering that the two beholds, the two beholds.
1: Have a look at the the mess of the Gentile world. Mm. Now have a look at this. My servant is on his way. Mm. And the servant is coming to meet the need of the Gentile world, which is expressed Mm. here in the word that your translation put as justice Mm. in verses 1, 3 and 4, three times over. The older translations, as you will remember, had the word judgment. Now. In the Old Testament, judgment has many meanings. Its minor meaning is condemnation, very rarely. One of its major meanings is what God has decided is the truth. Mm. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 1, the revelation that came through Moses is in part called God's judgments,
2: Mm.
1: what he has settled upon. He reveals his truth to his people. So the servant comes to meet the need of the Gentile world. Mm. They are bereft of God's truth, and he comes, it says, first of all, to bring forth God's truth to the Gentiles. Mm. Verse 3, he will bring forth God's truth genuinely, Mm. or faithfully, as you put it. And in verse 4, he will establish it in the earth, he will succeed.
2: Mm. I love that, and the way he does it is so good as well, isn't it? Because isn't it Matthew, who in 12, when he notices the way that Jesus doesn't... Ju- he doesn't... Because yeah. you would think it was someone who knows all the truth would be incredibly arrogant. Oh, I know, I know, everyone shut up and just listen to me. And yet, in fact, when he does all these healings, he says oh, don't, don't tell anyone, just be... And there's this incredible humility and quietness about him. Just as it says there in verse 3, bruise reed, he won't break." Um, and uh, no, verse 2 he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice. So it's, he, he has all the truth and yet delivers it in such humility and gentleness. It's incredible, so divine. That's wonderful. It's not just,
0: you know, uh, here we are, yes, let me shout it all out. <laughs> yeah. Not quite like that. Truth no. is solitary and quiet. quiet. Yeah. Oh, Again. I
2: love that. Yeah.
0: Moving on then from that into the, let's call them the assurances of chapter 43. That the Lord will never let His people go. Should we look at what, supersti- where superstitious religion can ultimately lead? I mean, how relevant is? Well, actually, if you look at chapter forty-four, how relevant is Isaiah forty-four today, Paul?
2: Well, it is, isn't it? Because religion, the problem's again the religion and the gods that we create and the things that we make with our own hands that we trust in. And we think, don't even now, like then and now, we can make something that will give us security, that will make us feel better, that will make sure the future's good and all that. And Isaiah just like ridicules it all really. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, look, how can you honestly make something with your own hands? Or it might be your house, it might be your career, it might be, but something that's just a mere creature, mm-hmm. and particularly something that you produce with your own hands, and then worship it and expect it to talk to you and save you. And I think that challenge that's made where he says, look, the Lord God, he, he reveals, he speaks, and he saves and that's the minimum requirement of any God. So you've got to worship something. It's got to at least reveal the truth to you, explain history, what's happened, what's going on now, what's going to happen, that's the minimum. And can this God save you? Yeah. And you get all that sort of challenge. And well,
0: you see, like 44 verse 10, who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? Yeah,
2: that's right. He you, shapes his own God. You make something and expect it to do more than you can, but you've made
1: it. It, pro- uh, it profits him nothing, nothing, but it can do him harm. Yeah, that's true. I see, it says in verse 20, a deceived heart has turned him aside.
2: Mm. The, the,
1: the, there's, a, there's a kickback from worshipping a false god. Yes. It may be a dead god, but it still has an influence. It still, it still kills you in the heart and in your understanding.
0: Yes, and then you know at the at the end of uh, chapter forty-four, and I suppose we'd say into chapter fifty-five. Isaiah specifically names Cyrus, <laughs> Cyrus the, yeah. the leader of the Medo-Persians, yeah, yeah. who would finally deliver Jerusalem from the Babylonians.
1: Yeah,
0: and well, actually, let's think about this, friends, for a minute. Why is such a definite, mm. um, you know, prediction? Why is such a prediction important in Isaiah? Yeah. What do you think? Alex, this me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing remarkable about it. People people pause over the prediction of a personal name as though it was very remarkable. But uh, Isaiah was very good at his job. He was a prophet, and uh, you know to 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 question and say, well, in order to know about Cyrus, he must have lived after Cyrus. It's well. The real problem with liberal theology is that it doesn't like prediction, <laughs> no. full stop. No. 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 And therefore it, it finds great difficulty in uh, such a specific and remarkable prediction as a personal name. But the, the Bible does it several times. Yes. And, 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 and if you were, suppose, as Isaiah envisages his people as a as, as, as suppressed people in Babylon, and they see an even greater conqueror coming. They're going to be more terrified than ever. What a reassurance then to know that century a century ago, God knew all about it,
0: yes.
1: and and that this great conqueror is, is in fact going to be a liberator.
0: The prediction of Emmanuel. So why yeah. not Cyrus?
1: And another another point. I mean, not to go on forever, but another point is that, as as you know. In these chapters, Isaiah makes a lot of prediction as proof of deity. Yeah. But if Isaiah lived in Babylon, as the liberal commentators say, there's no prediction at all. Yeah. <laughs> he'd be the last prophet, in fact, to make anything about prediction. Yeah. Yeah. He, he'd only be a, a sort of superior form of Alistair Cook or John John Humphreys, yeah, political commentator.
0: I hope that at this point, is, actually, I'd quite like just to hold up. Uh, For those who are sharing in our study, uh, your commentary on the prophecy of Isaiah, Mm. Alec, because it's worth us taking the whole prophecy Mm. very seriously indeed. Mm. You've gone into, with your great knowledge of the Hebrew text, we're very delighted that this book has gone worldwide, and is published by IVP, Intervarsity Press, Mm. and it's going to be, I think, still read in 50 years' time, and we must make the most of that while we've got it. Yep. So, shall I move on to you, Paul, for a minute? I mean, let's try and understand. Look at chapter 46. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: And un- try and understand the great contrast between the Babylonian gods, there, of chapter 46, and the Lord Himself. Mm. I mean, maybe
2: verses, what, three?
1: Yeah. yeah. Verse seven? That'll
2: do. Help us? Yeah, it, well, it, the great. So, he's making that point again about the, how rubbish religion is. Uh, it, it's just, it's not only does it do us no good, and he's made that point very well, like, these gods never say anything, they never do anything, they, no, they don't save anybody. Now he makes this great point, he says, these gods, you have to carry them around, and then you have to sort of get them on a cart, and, the, and you, so they're a tremendous burden to you, you carry them. Whereas he said, of course, the Lord God himself, he carries you. In the verse 3, listen to me, house of Jacob. Um, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived, and I've carried you since your birth. So the Lord God, he carries them.
0: Then verse 7,
2: yeah. they lift it to their yeah. shoulders and carry it. Yeah, they have, they have to have carry it. their gods. And he goes, again, what a rubbish God is it if that God requires you to do everything. And that's why, isn't it fantastic when Jesus and, says, And if I might say oh,
1: to you in your extreme youth, <laughs> It says that even to old age
2: you're carried. (laughs) Okay, that's true. The whole of (laughs) life. Yeah, carried. That's true. Yeah, and he will carry us all the way through life. That is fantastic. And that's why I love it when Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. You think, wow, that is the mark of the living God. All these other gods are saying, you must do what I tell you. You must serve me. Was the real God's like? No, you can't. I'm coming to serve you. Uh, Wonderful. A huge difference. I've heard you preach that actually mm,
0: mm. in All Souls Church when I was leading that church mm. a few years ago about the fact that Jesus says, "I am your servant." Mm. We can. We can't take it in, but mm. we may <laughs> take it in. Mm. I mean, Alec, I was looking at the contrasting descriptions of the Lord in chapter 45, verse 18, and the supposed queen god of the babylonians in chapter 47 verse
1: 8.
0: what would he say lay at the heart of babylon's oh at the heart
1: of babylon's sin there was there was pride Mm. nothing's ever going to touch me i sit forever as a queen Uh, but the, the 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 difference between the gods is as isaiah puts it here is at the point of creation and the old testament I think even more than the New Testament makes a great deal of creation. And uh, the psalm says, The gods of the heathen are no gods at all, but the Lord made the heavens. Mm-hmm. You know, cre- creative capacity is a proof of real deity. Yeah. Uh, and that's the point that he's made here. Thus says, The Lord who created the heavens, who is God. Yes. Yeah. The, that reference in the Psalms is that I quoted is ninety-six verse five. Mm. The the gods of the heathens, the heathen are poor imitations of the real thing. Yeah. Here's a bit of Hebrew for you: Elohim, gods; Elilim, poor imitations of the yeah, real thing.
0: Ah. You like that, Paul? Yeah, I'm <laughs> making note of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much.
1: Yes. Then, actually, the
0: power and the truth of god's word here mm. stands out massively then over the silence of silence of the idols. exactly i mean exactly. In chapter 48 we find yes. that here yes. I,
1: I, and that goes back you see to the emphasis on judgment the servant is going to be a, a revealer of truth Yes.
2: Mm. no i like that and because the human words and human religious stuff it's all about, I don't know, you You never, verse 8 of chapter mm-hmm. 40 you've neither heard nor understood, mm-hmm. of old your ears not open, mm-hmm. and that's been all the way through this section about the ignorance of mm-hmm. human beings and their gods and their concept, they mm-hmm. don't know anything, but then I love it in 48 from verse 16, 17, so on, um, I I am the Lord your God who teaches you what's best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you paid attention to my commands, your peace Peace would would have been like a a river, righteousness like the waves of the sea. And you just think, isn't that absolutely marvellous how... Uh, You know, in amongst all this chaos and we thought about the meaninglessness that uh, you end up with, with human ways and Babylon is meaningless and these gods are, are silent and burdensome and in place of that there's this living God who comes to serve and comes to teach and says, listen, I know you don't know, it's okay, don't worry, I'll teach you, listen to me, my words will give you peace and life and joy. And, and an inheritance and all these things. And you just think, oh, I want to listen. I want to listen to his words and obey them.
1: It's still true for us, you mean?
2: Always true, yeah, it's mm. still true for us. When I listen to the, and you just think, why would we listen to any other word? Right, well, friends, as we round off our study, let's leave it at chapter
0: 48, verse 20. Leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it, send it out to the ends of the earth you know what, Isaiah never mentions Babylon again in the whole of the rest of this prophecy. And even though it's a prophecy of what will be happening in the future, as far as Isaiah is concerned, it's over, as far as Babylon is concerned, they're out of it. And uh, that gives us great confidence. Assyria only gets mentioned once more in the rest of the prophecy. Assyria, well, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, died in a single night in August, 612 BC. Babylon, that died in one night. Remember the writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's feast? Well, that happened on October the 16th, 539 BC, so the boffins tell us as they read the Bible. If we feel under the weight of opposing forces as believers, let's remember Babylon, Assyria, they went. Things today, they won't last long. It won't be long. It won't be long. God bless you today.